0: You're listening to the coffee hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live uncommon.
0: It is Monday, which means it is mental health Monday with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Good morning, Heidi. Morning. I am so ready to move on to the next chapter in Emotions and the Gospel. <laughs> Today, the forgotten emotions of scripture. I feel like we need a sound effect for that.
1: It sounds like a movie. Like an a echo movie. sound like We're going to go effect. on a treasure hunt.
2: <laughs> I feel like there should be a gong. Like gold. <laughs> It can
1: be so fun. We can find that. We can edit in post production.
0: <laughs> this has been a really helpful book, by the way, and I've learned a lot along the way. I yeah. hope that I've demonstrated that with some of my points and questions. Uh, Absolutely. Today I might demonstrate my ignorance, but sorting through feelings and emotions sometimes daunting or intimidating. Why? Why is it? Why do we sometimes find it so challenging to sort through feelings and emotions? I don't
2: know. I think everyone has their own personal regions, likely. <laughs> you know, we grow up in very different families and households and we have individual spirits and personalities. And so there's a whole mishmash of that. But I would say that, again, we've said it before, we said it again, the brain science is only so far. So we only understand things like our emotions and our physical, um, as well as, you know, virtual even experience of those things to some degree. Also, emotion, well, I have, again, the theory in the book is noting that God is emotional. And so because they're so attached to God, there is always going to be this place of not understanding with the topic of emotion because there'll be this place that exists in the unrevealed thing of God. Whereas some of it we know and we experience because of the revealed things of God. We're going to need to be able to sit in mystery a little bit with the emotions. And I think if, you, if you've been in your local congregation lately, you know how hard mystery is for people. <laughs> it's not something we've all, particularly as Lutherans. I think we struggle with that, although I think sometimes our doctrines blend toward it really well. So that's one thing that makes boarding hard. I can think of life changes so often. Seasons are different. Our impact on our sense of self, We, you know, we have a core self, but at the same time, when we go through hard things and good things and have accomplishment and we change from one life stage to the next, there's new sorting to be done. So it feels never-ending. And that's always intimidating when there doesn't seem like the goal is accomplished, especially in our productivity-oriented culture, we like meeting the goal. And this is one area where we'll always be sorting good news, always sorting. That's hard for us as humans.
0: That sounds like laundry in our house.
1: Uh, always. No, laundry, that's a good metaphor. Sorry. Yeah. Like dog with laundry. I dog. derailed us. Oh, I would much rather <laughs> sort emotions than laundry. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I do love that. Maybe I'm
2: going to start using that. Like, would you going to do this or laundry? Well, and that's, I was just talking to somebody this week about that. You know, therapy is the work. And so mm. someone asked me, why do people not go to therapy? And I'm like, well, there's a lot of reasons they don't go to therapy. But I think part of the reason is that it's work. She, and we she, either intrinsically know that or we experience it and we're not into it or we get tired and life in itself is just tiring. We're going to talk about in a few weeks, the emotion of weary. And I think that's a really important one because we get wearied of trying to do the internal work, the relational work. There's in Genesis three, in the form of sin, and then and then we call it the curse. I like to call it natural consequences. When God outlines the things that are going to happen because of sin in the world, he talks about the toil, the sweat of our brow being part of our location. And you know, especially Lutherans, we believe in family and relational vocations just as much as we believed in you know, productivity-oriented vocation. And so, hey, guess what? The sweat of our brow is gonna come into effect in our relationships. We're gonna include our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with God and our relationship with emotion. So
1: that's that makes it challenging too. We just get tired. We are limited as humans. And also when you start digging through and sorting stuff that tends to bring up other stuff that can get very uncomfortable and then you have new stuff to deal with and new things to sort through i think maybe we get into this comfort with how things are and how we how we are currently dealing with and processing through stuff and when you kind of when when you upset that apple cart and and do start therapy and start that that work of healing and processing it, it you're right it's work and mm-hmm. and it, it, it takes time to kind of to, to be comfortable, comfortable in the uncomfortability of of everything that comes up when you start really analyzing things.
2: It's true. You know, I think pastors and other church professionals can really relate to that too, because, you know, part of their work is to hear people's stories also mm-hmm. and to sit with them in confession and in sorting and I've heard from numerous pastors how much they would just love it when people come to them. And that's, that's really why they're in that vocation because they want to sit with people and both stories. However, I think this is, it's not just the work of it. It's that revealing, like you said, the junk is very intimidating. And if it's in the room, well, that means it, it feels like it can take over the room, right? It feels like it's just too much for me or for that person to handle and then the work of it begins but like actually I'm gonna do something about it and maybe it'll create other things and other work for me to do so we we see that a lot I think in our churches where churches are built to be the places where we can bring our junk (laughs) that would be really good if we opened our stories especially our places of shame within the church and, and with ministry professionals in particular who this is why they do what they do but it, it's too hard and scary and that's okay like I think they understand that but know that they want you to come to them and
0: that and speaking of stories you share some great personal stories in emotions and the gospel and this chapter particularly <laughs> maybe it's because there's food involved I'm not sure Always. but really I connected with this one therapy oh. days and burgers tell us more yeah, about exactly. this story
2: I am I know and this is you know, it's a St. Louis story, you guys. I grew up in, outside of St. Louis, and this is me and my parents driving down Manchester Road to the Records after therapy. So I'll read you the full story. In my family growing up, therapy meant many things, but it especially meant good darker. While I was in middle school, my parents committed us to family therapy every other week or so. Each visit, we arrived at the office with flowered couches, dated floor lamps, and one of the kindest, most insightful women I've ever met. After therapy came burger time. Not skimpy burgers either, but big, juicy burger heaven at Fuddruckers. At Fuddruckers, I stepped up to the glass and picked out my burger, like people pick out their lobster at a fancy seafood restaurant. There were baskets of fries with special seasoning and tall glasses of main brand cola. Fuddruckers was the perfect pulse therapy huddle because there was no pretension. Being able to sit around a table and eat yummy food and reflect or simply laugh made therapy much less intimidating. Our burger shop lifted the shame that can come with going to therapy for the first time, making something that once felt big and isolating eventually feel normal and connecting. I don't know that my parents knew what they were doing. I mean, I, maybe I should give them more credit than that. <laughs> maybe they did. But I don't know that they thought, hey, we should, you know, make sure we always give them a really good burger after therapy. That'll make the medicine go nice. down easier. Yes. But it, we fell into that, I think. And it felt wonderful. And, and maybe after at least a couple of times, they realized that this was a good ritual. And sometimes we all just need a little reward for work that's hard, right? We just talked about that. And, and it is. It's this idea. I do have like a lot of theories about food and intimacy. You know, we have some more supper. But I do think food itself, and, and you don't think, you know, the victory feast to come and all of that, but food creates a place of intimacy in its own weird and wild ways. And it does tend to give us some comfort in making those things of life and the conversations that are a little intimidating, a little less intimidating.
0: How did that experience that your family established for you or that pattern that, that they established for you then shape? what you do for your family and for others as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, in my therapy practice, I always have snacks for my, especially kid clients, or if uh, my kids or teenagers are really new. Our therapy offices actually, before COVID, have a coffee and hot cocoa and tea me available for our therapy clients in these orange mugs. And I like a a real mug that someone washes her. And I just think that's the most beautiful thing. It feels much more personal, yes, but it also is comforting in its own way. And so that's something that I connected with as soon as I moved to Michigan, that idea. And I was like, okay, you're my people, this particular therapy office, because that was something that they did. I do a lot of, you know, games and things with food and therapy too, or just have ask it when we want to go back. And that's, kind of a fun aspect of my therapy practice. And then for my own family, we do most of our um, really big discussions, I guess. Maybe abstract is the better word around the dinner table. You know, we put a high priority on eating together at least a certain number of nights a week. We don't set a rigid schedule or anything like that. I do a lot of work to make sure that we have good meals and good food and we put a big amount of our budget toward it so that we want to eat the food and, and make the time and space available with food and and now that my kids are teenagers I we, we try to do the you know let's go out for coffee hey you want to run by and get a slushy? let's share a breakfast sandwich stuff like that because I think you get in those talking times that you may not have if there wasn't food involved and <laughs> It's awesome. I I love food and what it opens for people.
0: I love food too. Me too. <laughs> and the conversations that happen around it as well. Yes, <laughs> that too. Jesus. It yeah. is- as
2: you know, that's going to, I was going to say, I know we have to take a break, but that's going to look different with a toddler <laughs> than it is with your, like, that's your girl, grandmother. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, like consider your audience and how can food or drink be helpful in opening the spaces for connecting around this.
0: But who doesn't like animal crackers? Let's be honest. Mm, it's, it's
2: true. Free people. <laughs> oh,
0: that's true. Okay. Yeah. That's true. That might be a, a challenge. It is mental health Monday and we are talking emotions and the gospel today. We'll dig into forgotten emotions of scripture. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golset.
0: Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: I derailed us with animal crackers. We're going to talk about (laughs) forgotten emotions of scripture. Let's talk about a robust vocabulary, helping us sort Mm. through emotions. Why is it important to have a robust vocabulary?
2: Mm, Robust is such a great word. There's a couple reasons I want to really highlight here. One is that we only have words that we have. So we are limited by our language. That said, we we feel and experience a lot more things than what we have words for. And in our world today, research shows that we actually have less of a vocabulary than words we even have available. So we're using less of those words than we at one time did. I think this becomes real clear when we read Shakespeare or something and we're like, what? Like, you know it's okay like there's no shame in the fact that we use less words but it's something to be aware of we're limited culturally by what like our culture has or recognizes um and so we've talked about that before with just different cultures ideas about these really complex emotions that we may or may not have available to us so we are people of word that is a massive way we understand the world around us and the way we process things and so the words we have available is going to limit our ability to understand and process our emotional good news, where it isn't the only way, but it is a big way. The other piece of this, I think, is um, understanding that we have judgment around words and because of ideas. And so I've noticed like in biblical writing, not the Bible itself, but the materials we come out with in our current culture. You know, we are super obsessed with writing things about joy, for instance, because we highly value that emotion. Um, okay, that's awesome, but it's, it's just one of many that the Bible talks about. And so I do think there's this like value added idea to certain emotions or value deficit idea around certain emotions that is unhelpful for us when we have a more robust vocabulary that naturally opens up. Our concept of, you know, which emotions are worthy of some space in our lives. And that helped a lot.
1: Why does it make a difference in how we're expressing our emotions and how we're able to talk about them with other people when we when we when we can feel, I suppose, the difference between, I don't know, being sad and languishing and being weary. Like those all kind of mean a different thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think that's one
2: reason I really wanted to view Forgotten Emotions of the Bible. Maybe not because like these words are better, but because they're different. And so they might help us inform us about ourselves a little bit more. So if all I've known is sad as an emotion in that category of, you know, uh, things connected, sensory experience and mental and emotional and physical strength of sadness. It, sometimes it feels like it doesn't quite fit. I think grief is a good example mm-hmm. where sadness itself doesn't just quite fit. Mm-hmm. We need a new word. And so I noticed as I was reading through the narratives of scripture in particular, there were some experiences that I could really connect to the experience and I've seen it with other people. And I wanted to utilize that new word, lament, I think is one we can all relate to. In that area that we're talking about right now, where we're like, "Oh, like that's an that's an action moment," but it's also something we feel internally, and so that is a really cool thing that changes the way I experience and know that I can process those emotions that I'm experiencing. You know, there's lots of this. The funny part is though, you can take this a little too far, and and we talked about joy a little bit. Joy is a good example where we start to parse. And we have to remember the Bible is written not in English. It is written in the original languages of Greek and Hebrew, which are a little more layered. They have—I um, don't, for lack of a better term—they're a little bit more open language. A single word often means more than one thing, or has a really different. I don't know. It's just not as specifying, if you will, like it has particular as English or our use of English, image. and so. I think that's really helpful to us when we can sit with, for instance, a specific Greek or Hebrew word, even in scripture, and be okay with the fact that I I don't need to like get really specific about it into understanding it so much so that I've kind of killed the experience of that word and my ability to imply it, uh, apply it. And so we do that with like joy and happiness and anything kind of in that realm of emotion, if you will. Is there a difference between joy and happiness? Absolutely. Am I sometimes like maybe overutilizing the distinction between that when I talk to other people to, yeah, I think, because it can be helpful, but I think sometimes we're also killing people's happiness by being like, whoa, well, Jesus joy is better. And, you know, there's some truth in that scripturally, and also God does value our happiness. You know, it's very complicated. So just being cautious about over-applying, um, because a word appears in scripture doesn't make it a period. word.
0: So help me expand my vocabulary. <laughs> how, how do I do that? How do I expand? What are, what are some things I could add to my vocabulary?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to go over several in the next few weeks, which I'm excited. And I think... Well, too this just doesn't overlay with Lent perfectly because that would be really cool, I mm-hmm. think, as a Lenten practice to like, you know, sit with a new emulsion word every week. I actually was just talking to somebody recently about the beauty of liturinism or liturgical churches having Lent because it's a season of contemplation and sorrow that if you are outside of a liturgical church that you... That's a really wild thing to people that there's a place for sorrow, that there's a place to mourn in our lives. And we set a season aside for it. And I think that's pretty awesome. So I'll be writing some articles in the coming month to help people maybe embrace sorrow that weekend a little bit, which we're pretty good at at it, patrons. It's a pretty good at embracing sorrow during our Lent. Um and so we're going to go over some specific ones. Felt compassion, for instance, is one of my favorite ones. We are going to talk about weary. We're going to talk about contempt. But so there'll be some specific ones. There is in the back of emotions in the gospel created for connection, an emotion word book that I created, that utilizes, particularly the ESV and NIV translations of scripture, keeping in mind, again, going back to some of those Greek and Hebrew roots to make sure things are, you know, pretty accurately represented, if you will, just the list of emotion words that show up in Scripture. It was actually hard to keep it to the list I had. I really wanted to throw in a lot of emotion adjacent words. And I tried to, you know, keep the list to a couple pages instead of, you know, pages and pages and pages of emotion words that people might be interested in. So that's available. And I hope that when the people pick it up, they also understand that this is not a list of right or wrong things to experience. That this is simply a recording of some of the words you find in scripture that might help you. Like you're just asking Andy to expand your vocabulary, to use some new language, just like picking up an anthropology book that sends all of the Portuguese words for emotion, emotion or something like that. But
1: this is such a cool way, I think, to connect to God. So it does make it a little special. So this chapter is Forgotten Emotions of Scripture. Did you title that for a specific reason?
2: It's really hard. I started, and now that the book has been out for a while, I'm like, what did I originally have titled for this? But I know that I had at least three other titles. And it was challenging because, again, I didn't want people to have that value-added or value-deficit idea around these words. When I first sat down to research and begin to conceptualize the book, I really thought I would be writing a book much more about individual emotion. I I thought there'd be chapter after chapter of, you know, helping people discern what is fear and what does it look like in the Bible and in our own lives or what is, you know, why am I, I get on Mental Health Monday and I can't think of emotion words for some reason. There's an
1: emotion word list in the back of the book if you need to. There is, there (laughs) is.
2: Right. So what is anger and what does that look like in the Bible or regret, different mm. things like that? And But the problem was that it would, you guys, it would be thousands of pages long. There's so yeah. many individual emotion. And if I, if I've started to say like, well, I'm going to discuss joy and fear, but I'm not discussing weariness over here. What is, I was very concerned that that would do that value added thing. Mm. And so instead I really looked through it and was like, what, if, what are the words that I see in scripture that I think would be, A, very helpful for people. So that was really my first criteria. Like, I see that this would be useful in our current context, and it would be helpful for us to experience grace if we picked it up and understood it as God, you know, really wrapping his arms around us because I have a term to this now um, and see him present in it. Then the second requirement, if you will, was that it was not readily used. It was something that we saw in scripture. Maybe other cultures have it, but I did not see it in a lot of people's stories being used or a lot of interactions I had with people being used. And so it was really fun then to take the big old list of emotions I wanted to write about and be surprised by the ones that I let the Holy Spirit, you know, lead me to in scripture. They're, all the ones I picked also had several instances in scripture. So we're not picking at one word that appears in People sort of know what it means in the Greek context, you know, so had a little bit more reliability, if you will, research-wise. Felt compassion again is, is my favorite, I think. And now there's a value addition to it. I just think it's such a cool term that we actually see Jesus in particular engage in over and over and over again in scripture. And it tells a lot about who he got through the divine being, but also the man of God is.
0: Well, you just answered my next question. What was your favorite new emotion (laughs) word that (laughs) you discovered in this process? All right. Maybe a couple of more examples of words that you were surprised by as emotion words that you discovered in this process as we wrap up just about a minute left.
2: No, absolutely. Well, you know, when I wrote my book, All Together Beautiful or Study of the Farm of Swirling, that I did decide to write on this emotion that I found in that that I was really surprised by at that time because, again, it just became more and more evident how this would be really useful for people. And I wanted to bring it to mind for people. And that's the word delight, which I I believe we'll talk about next episode. And it really does help. I think it's a very contextual word that's very relational rather than like me culturally value happiness a lot. But delight is more that in-between connected-oriented emotion. And I think it's such a cool way to see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so delight is a really interesting one. I also think I mentioned contempt, and we'll talk much more about that one. I think that's a word that we need to be talking about, particularly in churches, because there's a difference between people expressing anger or frustration than people expressing contempt. And it's it does heavily impact our experience of community and belonging in relationships. And it would be, I think, a very useful word that we could apply to voters meetings probably very regularly, but also just maybe some of the ways that we communicate in churches if we wanted to be able to step back and, and utilize more grace-based language hmm. with each other.
0: I would say delight is a favorite one around here, especially in the Midwest, so much so that we've named a dessert after it, like oh. blueberry, blueberry delight.
2: Blueberry? I didn't, didn't know about that.
0: Oh, Blueberry Delight. My aunt makes the best Blueberry Delight. It's very...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. I, I delight when I eat it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I don't know of any dishes named Contempt though, so I'll have to work on that. I'm mm. sure there's one
1: somewhere. <laughs> Probably it with like jello and that. hot dogs or something together. Look, <laughs> look at us connecting
0: food to motion words. Every Mental time. Health Monday, Emotions and the Gospel with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Thanks so much, Heidi, for joining us. Oh, and I always forget com. You can find more there, including more information about the book, Emotions, and the Gospel. Thanks so much, Heidi.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.